0: From the highest point of Florida State's campus
1: and the hottest room in Seminole sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. Wherever you may be and however you may be listening to, we are streaming live on WVFS.FSU.EDU. We're also locally on air on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee, Florida. If you'd like to call into the show, feel free to dial us up at 850-644-3871. And as always, if you miss the show or any other future shows, you can always go back and listen to us on the Tomahawk Talk podcast available anywhere you get your podcasts at. I'm your host, Gabe Tisnes, and I'm officially back in the booth after a week off due to family reasons. And it's never easy losing a loved one, but I've received a lot of support from friends here at the station and my family. Just been really encouraged by, um, you know, the best side of humanity. You know, it's it's always hard uh, in these times, but you, you really get to see the best out of people as well. So thanks be to God for that. But You know, we're here to talk sports and it is great to be back. I I really miss the station. It is um, one of my favorite places here on campus. Um, And this is only my second show here as host. So um, uh, there's definitely a lot here to to discuss. But um, yeah, the the world of sports right now, it's a little bit crazy with football. Uh, I think since the wild card weekend, we've just been treated to so many exquisite games, uh, storylines everywhere. But we also have FSC hoops to, to talk about. You know, unfortunately for Samuel fans, there's not been too many positives in the last seven days or so after you know things started to look to looking good. You know, uh, we'll get into that later. But uh, <laughs> yeah, there's just a lot going on. Um, firstly, with with the world of soccer, I thought things were going to be quiet this time of the year um, with the Champions League kind of being on hold, international break and whatnot. But my favorite team, Barcelona, actually signed three players, three forwards in the last month somehow out of nowhere. Uh, we won't get into that, but, you know, I'm sure Barcelona fans out there uh, are rejoicing because there seems to be some, some hope uh, for the Xavier Hernandez era. Um, but nonetheless, it was easy being away from the station because William and Brett held down the Ford And William, my co-host, we haven't seen each other in a minute, but I've been hearing a lot about your opportunities calling games for TCC and FSU, man. How's, how's that going? Are you going to get burnt out?
2: I I hope not, and Gabe, first of all, it's great to have you back. We definitely missed having you at the station, so I'm glad we can be here together to do the show tonight. And, yeah, I got back a little bit after 3 a.m. this morning. I traveled with the FSU club hockey team down to Palm Beach. We played a couple of games against Lynn University. We were able to pull off a victory in the second game, so... I'll, I'll be traveling with them, calling the games on the radio side for the next couple of weeks. That was a blast. Also involved, as you mentioned, with TCC uh, basketball and baseball with Brett Rutherford, who, who hosted the show uh, last week. And, and shout out to him for for doing that. And yeah, before coming to the studio for tonight's show, I called about five innings of TCC's first baseball game. There so, you go. living the dream as an aspiring sports broadcaster. I feel like I'm a kid in a candy store right now, and happy to be here for the show tonight.
1: It is remarkable to see how much you've grown in the station, and now outside the station. I mean. This man has has everything under control. He's he's <laughs> he's d- dropping dimes left and right. But um, we also have AJ LaCoursier and Amanda Golson here representing the five six one loud and proud. Those are two panelists for today. Um, AJ, how's your January been, man?
3: It's been great. Uh, welcome back, Gabe. It's been really Thank busy you. though. I feel like I've been everywhere around the world, all over the state of Florida. It's been great, exciting time for sports. Really excited to get to what we're talking about tonight. Where'd you get to go? Uh, I went, I've been in Germany this January, I've been back to Palm Beach County where I'm from, and I've been to Tampa, so it's been quite a journey this month.
1: That's exciting. What did you go to Germany for?
3: Uh, One of my, one, my best friend, Uh, his family lives there, okay. so we went to a couple soccer games and just chilled out for
1: winter break. That's awesome, man. What what, what games did you catch? <laughs> I'm a soccer guy, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: We went to Mönchengladbach okay. versus uh, Frankfurt okay. with Chadley. Munchen Gladbach last as I'm a Munchen fan. Oh. Then we went to a third league game, uh, Eintracht Braunschweig, versus um Kaiserslautern, and it was a tie, it was a really good game. They're both at the top of the third league in the Bundesliga. Mm-hmm. And we also went to a hockey game.
1: What was the, what was the atmosphere like for a third division soccer game like after the pandemic and, you know, people coming back. I'm sure like there's a lot of hardcore fans that have been, you know, waiting so long to to be able to like, you know, get back into these rivalry games that we have no idea about here in the States.
3: Yeah, the, they still have limited capacity at the stadiums in Germany, but the passion was still there. It was great. Yeah. All the fans are totally involved. They don't sit down for most of the game. They're singing the whole game. There's They still have a blocked-off section for the visitors. They don't want nice. the home side to get too close to the visitors. <laughs> it's really fun.
1: That's awesome, man. And like I said before, we have Amanda Golson here, a member of the FSU Batgirls herself. So, Amanda, what's going on with the team? The season hasn't started, but there's already been some news going on.
0: Yeah, I actually saw on Instagram earlier today that uh, D1 Baseball named Parker Messick a first-team preseason All-American, as well as Bryce Hubbard in the third-team preseason All-American. So, it'll be interesting to see what they do in the first series against James Madison, February 18th. Uh, I'm super excited for the season and super excited to be involved as a girl in my first year. So, uh, we'll see how they do this year.
1: Yeah, FSU Baseball is one of those teams that I can actually watch when it comes to baseball. <laughs> not the biggest baseball guy. Uh, this has not been something I've shined away from, but I'm, I'm actually excited to see what, what the Seminoles do. Uh, what, 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 do we, what do we call it on the – they're not, not, not the court. On the diamond. On the diamond. The baseball there, diamond. Yeah, there, there you there go. Yeah.
2: Dick Houser Stadium. Shout-out to them.
1: Yes, sir. We also have Noah doing Twitter for us for the first time. Shout-out to him. And we also have Scott and Sebastian in the prod booth, as always, doing the ones and twos, making sure we sound as best as we can. But let's get started, guys. We will start with FSC Hoops because there's a lot to talk about in the NFL. So we're going to start off with the the smaller things first. Unfortunately for Seminole fans, like I said, two losses in the span of a week after things started to seem going up for, for Seminoles after... They, uh, you know, had a five-game winning streak, I believe. Uh, I mean, it was just an incredible upset against Georgia Tech, the first game of the week. I believe it was on Wednesday when they lost seventy-five, sixty-one on the road. And, you know, this team has shown inconsistency the whole season. This is not something new. This is a young team that's learning how to win, how to stay winning. Um, but at the same time, that kind of a loss after everything they've been through. It, it's kind of a red flag, but then you, you put through another bad performance against Virginia Tech, this time at home, at home where, you know, the Tucker Center has been some sort of castle where nobody can seemingly come in and, you know, bring in their their, type of ba- their their type of basketball. Not even Duke. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's been some positives, negatives in January. A lot of unexpected things with you know beating Duke and now losing to Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech. Where does this team seem to go from from here now, William?
2: It's really going to depend on how they respond, and really this past week was incredibly disappointing. The past week when we were on the show, me and Brett, um, and the guys that we had on panel, we were all really upset that we weren't really in consideration for the top 25. We were coming off a 3-0 and week where we had beaten number 6 Duke. We beat Miami down uh, in the Garden, so... To come off a 3-0 and week like that, you're playing the two worst teams in the ACC, and you drop both of those games by double digits. It's really been um, really synopsis of, of what the season has been, which is very incredible highs and at the same time very disappointing lows. Um, guys that that are getting volume shots, like Caleb Mills is the guy that's taking a ton of shots every game. When he's off, you know, Georgia Tech two for seven with five points, you're going to have a lot of trouble with offensive production. And then uh, the the game Saturday that you talked about, the way Virginia Tech was shooting the three ball, it didn't really matter what you were doing on offense because they were putting up three. It seemed like every other possession. So moving forward, the schedule I think is still relatively light. you got a tough game against Wake Forest coming up. But these are all, you know, middle-of-the-pack ACC teams that Florida State, this program where they are right now, we should be dominating. And so they're just gonna really have to go out there and do it. I mean,
1: you said it yourself. This this is unacceptable. <laughs> it doesn't matter if they were ranked or not. Uh this is not what is expected from Coach Hamilton and this the squad of players. Um, obviously they'll have something to say going forward, uh, especially two games this week against Clemson. Um I I think it's easy to 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 fall into the okay, this is a team that's, you know, Competing for this or maybe just out of the whole loop. I think this is a team that's still finding themselves and the Duke win was incredible and In some ways like it was expected like if you're playing at home and you have that sort of dominance You you can kind of count on that going forward no matter what But I think at this point you're gonna to have to also start counting on these sort of flops coming out of nowhere which is really problematic going into the tournament AJ, what are your thoughts on, on the team and like what is it what is it missing right now uh, in terms of the players? What do they need to do to get back to their, their level of dominance?
3: Right now, Florida State basketball is missing a veteran presence within the team. I know Anthony Polite is supposed to be the veteran presence and he certainly has picked up that role throughout the season, but Florida State has a really young team and we should kind of expect this from a young team. I know as much as we don't want to say this, but... This is what happens with young teams when, when especially when we have a team that is not shooting well throughout the whole season. This is kind of what should be expected from a young team, uh, and I think Florida State fans just kind of have to try to get used to it. But as as I say that, I really do like to see. I really like seeing the development of the freshmen on the team so far throughout the season, and they're gonna have to step it up after this two game losing streak, and we'll see how, how they bounce
1: back. You know, when you speak about leadership and and experience, losing Malik Osborne to a left ankle injury for the rest of the season, a redshirt senior, it's just one of those massive blows that it might just derail most of uh, the expectations that people had coming into the year for the Seminoles. I know we've talked a lot about how much talent this team has. Uh, It it just doesn't seem like it's being able to coheavent that Coach Hamilton's being able to cohesively piece together a starting five that um, can contain both talent and experience, that everyone can complement each other with, with their size, with their shooting, with their athleticism. Amanda, what are some of the positives that this team has that they can kind of, you know, continue to look back on and say, hey, we, we might not be where we want to be after this past week, but these are some of the players that we can count on, you know, going forward.
0: I mean, seeing Naheem McLeod, you know, have his career high of 15 points, that was huge. And the chemistry between him and the freshman, Jalen Worley, has been, it's been, like, really inspiring to see how they work together. And I think, you know, they're both young, so that's definitely something that this team has to build on. I mean, in all, like, we don't, not to get negative here, but we really don't have a consistent shooter. That's something that needs to, change either in recruiting or something like that just needs to change especially when we're playing teams like Virginia Tech like we don't have a shooter we don't really have someone that we can rely on um you know White Wilkes is inconsistent I mean we have John Butler shooting most of our (laughs) three-pointers seven foot Mm -hmm. John Butler you know um but I was very it was really it was really nice to see um Naheem have a good game against Virginia Tech and I'm expecting a lot from him this year as we move forward
2: and with Malik Osborne being out for the foreseeable future, I mean, I know he's not a front court guy, but he's relatively tall and a big man in his own right. So, kind of a new direction with McLeod getting a lot more playing time, him and Butler on the floor sometimes at the same time, gives yourself a little bit different of a playing style. I think they've been really guard heavy early with guys like. Um, Worley and uh, Raquan Evans was the guy that I was thinking of and, and those guys have had varying levels of success and so I may be moving to a different play style that could shake things up. Another thing that, that took place in Saturday's game, Coach Hamilton said that most of the team was dealing with bronchitis mm-hmm. yep. and I can't imagine that that's an incredibly easy thing to deal with <laughs> when you're trying to play a basketball game at this level. So um, a lot of excuses can be made but I, I think we brought up points of, of optimism potentially moving forward that you have no choice but to feel good about.
1: Yeah, bronchitis is not <laughs> is not going to make anything easier for anybody. But I do think that what you were kind of hinting at, William, was the fact that losing somebody in this situation could end up being a blessing in disguise. I know it's, it's hard to see it as that right now, but you, know, you end up giving more opportunities to other players to create some sort of continuity, whether in the starting lineup or, or even finding a better off-the-bench situation than what they have going on right now, because that's what this team is built upon. They're, they're built upon their bench. They're built upon their numbers. Uh, and everyone being able to defend. And right now, I mean, once again, maybe it was bronchitis, who knows. But their three-point defending, it was awful against Virginia Tech. Uh, and it's not been something that's been a single case before. It's been something that we've seen throughout the whole season for, for a couple of games now. And so I think that's that's one of the key areas that Coach Hamilton needs to to kind of highlight going forward because this is a team that that's not going to outscore most teams. It's a team that's not going to be on shootouts. So if you're if you're going against teams that can shoot up threes and, and you, you can't defend against that, then you're going to be put in a situation where you have to kind of get back into the game or, or maybe start taking more ill-advised uh, shots than you would probably do. You have to remain consistent with how you play and, and, and remain consistent with your culture that you're trying to create. And these are players that are brand new to this culture, brand new to the system. Um, so there's, I think there's, there's still some time. There's still some time. Absolutely. But going forward... There, there has to be more of an emphasis on these things. Um, AJ?
3: Yeah, I was going to point that out too. As Florida State fans, we're used to seeing this suffocating defense all-out effort. And when we see Florida Staking out-rebounded uh, against Virginia Tech on the offensive side at least, it's just something we're not used to seeing, especially when we have such a big team that out-rebounded Duke, and that's the reason we won against Duke, is because of our offensive rebounding when you don't have a great shooting team you need to be able, you need to be able to crash the boards and create those second third and maybe even fourth fourth uh fourth chances so that is one area that i i would like to see florida state do better in is put a little more effort in rebounding especially
1: with the size we have on this team do you guys think that this was the real florida state or or do we think that like the wins against miami and and the rest of the 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 five game winning streak was just some sort of fluke amanda
0: No, I think the team that we've seen the last two games is not our team, especially having during the Virginia Tech game. Caleb Mills played for a couple minutes. Raquan Evans was out, and obviously Blake Osborne's out. You know, Coach Ham started three freshmen, which he said one of the, like, first times he's ever done that. I really – I don't think this is our team. You know, like A.J. was saying, this is a very young team. You know, there's still a lot of room to grow. And, you know, we've seen what these guys can do, and I think it's just how they – adjust to the different teams we're playing and handle the pressure um being back in the tuck definitely I think helps we're not going to talk about Virginia Tech game but um moving forward I think that the team that we saw against Duke and Miami is a team that we need to work back up to be I don't think we will we are that team now but there's definitely room to get back up to that team
1: William have your expectations changed? I, I hate asking this question week after week. It, yeah, it because, has Because, I mean, it. how much can we talk about expectations? We're, we're not even playing the games. We're not coaching. We're merely talking about these games uh, in a way that they probably have no influence on. But uh, as a Florida State fan, how, how can you keep watching these games and, and just be like, uh, I think this is what the team's actually – you know, bringing to the table, and then another week it's this. I mean,
2: yeah, that that epitome of, of inconsistency is is certainly frustrating. They've got ten games left, all in ACC play, and I think if you're being honest, you really should be winning six or seven of those games if you look at your playing. I mean, that that trip to. North Carolina is going to be tough. You have to travel to Duke. That's going to be tough. And then, you know, maybe pick another Wake Forest or Notre Dame or Virginia that's going to trip you up. But the rest of those games you should be winning. You should not be dropping games to, to schools like Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech. And the question that you just asked a couple of moments ago, I really do think that 3-0 and week that they had where they, they beat Duke at the beginning of the week, and they came back basically 24 hours later um, on, on a Thursday afternoon against North Florida, and, and they won that game pretty handily. And then they go again a couple of days later down to Miami. I mean, that's 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 legit tournament style stuff where you're playing big game after big game. That definitely showed the potential where they could be. So I, that that's the point of optimism. I mean, if it, the whole season was just these these games to the tech schools this week, I mean, yeah, you'd be giving up on the season. But because they've shown those flashes of brilliance, that's what keeps us invested.
1: I just think of Wild Wilkes as one of your main shooters, and and we've talked about Anthony Plied before on the show as well, and how he's not really shown up the way we expected him to. Once again, expectations, the key word here. I. I don't know where the shooting's coming from. I mean, John Butler has has been somebody that's surprised me for the last couple of games, but is he somebody that we can really count on going forward as well as Anthony Polite? Um, it, it doesn't seem like the the consistency from shooting outside is going to is gonna show up from any of the players that we've seen so far unless somebody else comes down into the picture. What do you think, AJ?
3: I agree. Uh, we've seen Anthony Polite step it up uh, as the season has progressed. But my main concern with such a bad shooting team is that we also have so many turnovers on the offensive ball side. Uh, we had, uh, let me look real quick, we had 17 turnovers against Georgia Tech, and then we had, or Florida State had 10 tur- 10 turnovers against, or 14 turnovers against Virginia Tech. And that's just a huge problem, especially when you're not a team that's particularly, particularly good at shooting the ball. You need to be more efficient on the offensive end. So we need to look, Florida State needs to look for someone other than John Butler and other than Anthony Polite to step it up, and
1: this is part of the development stage of having a young team. Well, I think we can get into the good stuff now. <laughs> Enough of that FSU Debbie Downer talk. There was some football played this past Sunday. A lot of good football, one could say, especially with the first game of the, of the, of the Sunday slate of games. Bengals Chiefs, the Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes episode number two fiasco happened and after the first quarter I think a lot of people including myself were saying hey this might get ugly because we we know the Bengals we know who they are the Bengals are gonna Bengal I've said this for for years now but the Bengals did not Bengal this this (laughs) Sunday they they absolutely showed up particularly in the second half holding Patrick Mahomes to just three points until the last second and I mean winning their first playoff game in 31 years not not too long ago after winning the AFC North after you know we talked about the Browns and the Ravens now they came back from an 18 point deficit on the road against the Chiefs beating in them for the second time in just a month the Bengals are in cloud nine right now William how did the Bengals get here and, and what do we make out of just the state of Cincinnati right now I mean I'm just picturing the 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 same thing that happened in philadelphia a couple of years ago right now
2: <laughs> it, and you call it i was going to say i mean when was the last time you remember an underdog story to this extent in the nfl that eagles team in 2017 was a good example and i might even go as far back as you know 10 years ago with those giants teams that knocked off the patriots a couple of times i mean a team that going into the season legitimately completely came out of nowhere and thanks to the play of, of joe burrow and the likes and all the weapons that they have on offense it was interesting to, to see how this game played out. Of course they go twenty go down twenty one to three with just over I believe five minutes left to go in the first half. They didn't look particularly good on offense. They went three and out on the first drive. They had a fourteen play drive that stalled out for a field goal and then they went five and out on a punt. But then after that they really found their their their, their groove. They had a seven play, seventy yard DR touchdown drive right before halftime, and then of course Kansas City with that gaff at the goal line as as the first half concluded and then from there it was pretty much all Cincinnati. So Another thing I would throw out as well, you go even back to Andy Reid's days with the Philadelphia Eagles, and he was known late in games in the fourth Mm -hmm. quarter, whether it was timeouts or time management or anything like that, Andy Reid, I mean, everyone likes to talk about the the Falcons and Kyle Shanahan, Andy Reid is the original guy that can't close (laughs) out a game, and I think the past couple of seasons, Patrick Mahomes is so great that it's kind of prevented that from happening, but... He's not going to be great every single time out. And he was a little bit off, especially in the second half. And I think
1: that kind of Andy
2: Reid stuff that's come out before kind of reared its ugly head again.
1: Four championships in a row with two different teams. I mean, he's the only man to ever do that in the NFL history. But at the same time, there's there's a reason why it took him so long to win the Super Bowl. And, I mean, I don't know if it's an offensive thing where you know, we talk a lot about defense wins championships and, and this and that, but I really thought that this, this Chiefs team, after all they went through this past season, especially coming from the Super Bowl loss, they they seem to have lost all the meaningful games they should have to learn their lessons. That hey, play till the the the, the final whistle is is whistled, <laughs> and and you know make sure that you're not taking plays off and not l- overlooking opponents, especially after the Bengals beat them not too long ago, and. I'm still wrapping my head around what happened in that second half. But the way that the Bengals came out, it it really changed my perspective on what Cincinnati has been building over there for the past two years now because this is only Joe Burrow's second year as a starter. You know, coming off that national championship, Heisman winning season, and now he's – not in the big MVP conversation, but after this this playoff, I'm, I think we're going to see Joe Burrow in a completely different light. And now he has a chance to become, I think, the only player ever to win the Heisman, the National Championship, and the Super Bowl. Amanda, I mean, Joe Burrow is just insane. I mean, Joe Burrow for president?
0: Absolutely. I mean, he's that guy. I mean, he, you know, going up against competition like this, he, you know, he, he delivered – I mean, there's not much else to say about it. I'm excited to see how he goes up against the defense of the Rams um, in the Super Bowl. But, I mean, I'm all about it. I'm I'm super happy for him. Just to be so young and to have so much success early on, is, it's really cool. And um, I'm excited to watch the game.
1: Joe Burrow right now is just a national treasure. I think most of America is on his side of things. When you think about the Super Bowl and, and just in general, is there anything that, you know, fans can hate on when it comes to Joe Burrow right now, AJ?
3: I don't see how you can. It's amazing the way he's taken control of this team within t- not even two years because he had a season-ending inju- in- injury his first rookie season, and then he just has control of the team. And whenever he gets the ball, as a fan, you must believe in him. It's just the the way he throws it, he's, he has that swag. He has that it factor that makes you believe as a fan. And I would also like to give a shout out to Evan McPherson the, the kicker for the Bengals perfect in the playoffs he's a rookie that's not easy to do especially when you're playing in cold weather games all all away games except the Las Vegas Raiders game and he's he's 10 for 12 this year on 50 uh field goals 50 yard field goals or more and it's just unbelievable the ice he also has in his veins
1: yeah it seems like the Bengals have this audacity this Uh, this belief about themselves kind of like the Eagles once again yeah they don't really care who they're playing they don't really care how big the spot is and I think a lot of that comes from not only Joe Burrow but Jamar Chase now both of these guys had a lot of success in college they bringing that those winning ways to Cincinnati that's something they haven't had for a while and that combination of course that that is probably the main thing that we want to talk about with the Bengals all the 50 yard bombs that they've had the whole season nobody seems to be able to stop them and I think that was one of the things that was puzzling to me uh, during that first half. I believe it was Jamar Chase who scored their first touchdown, and he was left in single coverage in the goal line, and I just kept looking at that and be, and asking myself, why are they doing that? They know the ball is going towards him, and I do know that they have T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, and they have other weapons, but at the same time, you want to make sure that a six-foot, I believe, three target like him doesn't just remain that wide open, especially when... I wouldn't consider the Kansas City secondary that good. William, what do you think about the Chiefs' game plan when it comes to defense side of things?
2: Absolutely. That, that's a great point that you bring up. I don't think Steve Spagnuolo's the defensive coordinator for the Chiefs. His cover zero defense is particularly a good matchup for this Bengals offense at all. We talked about it uh, after, after Wild Card Weekend when the Raiders went into Cincinnati and employed pretty much the same plan, and similar to Kansas City, Vegas did not have those kind of corners to match up with these receivers on the outside, and you're going to leave them one-on-one and challenge them. Eventually it's going to come back to bite you. Um, that, that I think, certainly was lacking, but that's that's what the Chiefs have always been in this Mahomes era. So in a game like this, I guess you got to write it out, but props to Cincinnati. And I think one thing I want to commend the Bengals for is sticking with their game plan. They went in, they wanted to run the ball a lot, throw some short screen passes, some outlets, and, and this and that. And they were really struggling offensively early. It looked like they were in for a really long day. And halftime comes around, and they don't panic. They keep doing their their stuff. I mean, Samaje Pirain had a 40-yard touchdown off a screen pass. Joe Mixon ended up running for four yards to carry. So, in the end of the day, they, you stick with what you come into the game wanting to do, and eventually it paid off for him. And on the other side, we can talk about it, Kansas City kind of abandoned what they were doing. Yeah. They kind of fell apart at the
1: end. They sure did. I mean, it was – an absolute mess, a colossal meltdown. I mean, this is the opposite of what the Chiefs do. They are the ones coming back, usually, AJ.
3: I also have a question to pose. After this week's game, we had big controversy with the overtime rules. Does this kind of quiet down the controversy after Kansas City ended up winning the first coin
1: toss of overtime? I haven't been personally very convicted on this because I do see it how people are maybe seeing it now when it comes to... Hey, it's not a guarantee. And obviously, when you have Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady in in these last couple of games, uh, you know, having the ball in their hands, of course, some of the best players of all time having the ball in their hands with a touchdown to go, with all the the motivation they could possibly need with a Super Bowl on the line, of course, they're going to deliver. They are who they are. But at the same time, I, I do see the other side of the coin when it comes to, hey, just try to balance it out, give everyone a shot. I don't think anybody would, you know, get too mad about that. I certainly hope it, it does put that talk to rest. I think
2: the fact that it was the same team in the same stadium two weeks in a row, one week against the Bills, they drive down the field. There was no question they were going to end that game on that drive. And then in this one, I mean, some of the worst football I've seen from Patrick Mahomes in his career, they dropped back to pass three times in a row. The first two definitely should have been intercepted, and the third one was picked off. So uh, I, I don't know if, if the word panic necessarily is the right word for Mahomes, but late in the fourth quarter, there was times where third and short, there was no real pass rush coming in from Cincinnati. Mahomes had all the time in the world to find someone and just get those couple yards. And he just sat in the pocket forever. He's running backwards. He's running around like he's got his head cut off. And it definitely didn't work out work out at all. And he did kind of the same thing in overtime. And, and for a guy that, that really carries his team, he's worth a considerable chunk of their cap space. You need a lot of production out of him. And, and he, I think ultimately he really let the team down.
1: I think this is the Patrick Mahomes a lot of us expected coming out of college. The one that, you know, he could throw the deep bomb pretty well or he could make the special play, make the flashy play, show off his talent, but also kind of struggle with the pregame or the pre snap reads and, you know, making sure that he's consistent throughout the whole 60 minutes. I did see a lot of plays where Joe Burrow was also scrambling around and he somehow got out of it, where Patrick Mahomes has also been known for doing that. So, I wouldn't say it was luck, but it definitely seemed like the Bengals were were in in very precarious situations where a lot of things could have gone wrong for them, but they didn't. And, you know, that's what you need sometimes in football to win, a little bit of luck on your side. And uh, I'm not taking any any credit away from what the Bengals did because what they did is historic. It is going to go down in the record books because we know how special this this Chiefs team is, how special Mahomes is. So wherever he goes from this, and this is probably – Somehow, a low point in his in his NFL career, his young NFL career, you know, going to four AFC championships in a row, and you know, being so successful already, you can only think that he'll 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 get back to winning Super Bowls and and getting back to to winning MVPs and whatnot. Um, and for that, I think it's kind of like what the Patriots had when when the Eagles beat them. That that Eagles team will always be remembered for what they did and beating who they beat. AJ, I
3: just have one last thought. I'm I'm looking at the broader picture here. I'm just imagining how fun the AFC is going to be for the next couple of years with all the young quarterbacks in the in the conference. We have Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson. It's going to be really fun watching the AFC. I don't I think the time of having one dominant team in the AFC as New England was for so long is over just because of all the young talent there is now
2: the nfl has worked so hard to to create parity year in and year out and you watch this year's playoffs specifically and there's no question that the nfl has succeeded in their in their goal there's new teams pretty there's about a 50 percent turnover on playoff teams from year to year so every year half of the teams are are teams we haven't seen in january football before so you're right and all those gunslingers they are going to be fun to watch for the next 10 plus years
1: you forgot to mention Tua. Uh, I'm a little surprised about Justin that. Herbert in there as yeah. well. Yeah. You know, but
3: hey. yeah, the the Bengals are my fever dream as a Dolphins <laughs> fan because we followed their exact plan. We drafted the quarterback, we drafted the college wide receiver, and it just hasn't worked out. And, then, and as a Dolphins fan, it is really painful to watch the Bengals go on this run that the Dolphins would have hopefully been on.
1: Yeah, it's 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 certainly painful, and you know we'll talk more about our our, our side of pain with uh, the Bucks and the Saints. Uh, the next half of the show, this has been uh, Tomahawk Talk, and this is WVFest al the voice of Florida State. And we are back for the second half of the show. Once again, this is Gabe Tissens, your host, accompanied by William Haynes, Amanda Golson, and A.J. LeCoursier. And we are back to discuss the other game that happened on Sunday, the NFC side of things. The Rams and the 49ers met once again, third time this season, and the end score was 2017 LA once again beating their San Francisco rivals not just in basketball not just in baseball but now in football for the past year it's it's quite remarkable what LA is doing against those uh, uh South Bay Californians but you know the one thing I I want to talk about is Sean McVay we we've talked a lot about Sean McVay everyone's talked about Sean McVay he is the the prodigy the 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 new blueprint for what a coach should be in the NFL. It's the second Super Bowl in 4 years and yes, we all know how much he's spent, how much he's traded, all the the, the ramifications that could happen in the long term because of his approach of, of of these things, but I do think that the Rams have kind of engineered a new way that some, some teams perhaps in the future might want to adopt or, or at least try to model. Um, William, what do you think about the way that this team kind of built themselves uh, for the last, you know, half a decade or so because the Bucks did something similar. The Bucks did something similar and and I don't think it's that similar, but in a way it it points to the way that the NFL is evolving with the salary cap and and everything else. What do you what do you think about how the Rams built this team and, and is it something sustainable going forward?
2: It's really unique. I I think the answer might be it's unique to the Rams because of the situation you were in. You look maybe before 2015-2016, trades were extremely rare in the NFL. The deadline was always dead. There was never really big players getting moved via the trade. And then the Sean McVay Rams and and a couple of other teams come around and and they start saying, well, we've got a good core here or maybe a couple of stars away from really getting over that final hump. And so they, they just go all in on all kinds of players. They give a bunch of picks to Jacksonville. For Jalen Ramsey, Uh, they they bring in a couple of edge rushers from various teams. They bring in Von Miller from Denver. Uh, Matthew Stafford from from Detroit is the most notable of those. And yeah, they've completely mortgaged their future. They've got you know they don't own a first round pick in I believe the next three years. (laughs) But what they keep doing is they just keep postponing that. Oh, we don't have any first round picks in the next three years. Let's give them our first round pick four years from now. And then so they just keep going down the line and down the line. I think really the backside of this is really where we're going to find out if it's sustainable but the Rams I think if you want to look at the business side of sports it was interesting they were in a spot where they were moving from St. Louis there was not a lot of buzz they had been basically irrelevant under Jeff Fisher for the greater part of a decade they moved to LA they want to be a part of the stars and so you got to get stars on your team they're trying to build that fan base and so they get the stars there and they're going to have a chance they're going to get their
1: second shot at getting a Super Bowl ring yeah, and they better make the most of it because, I've, I, as you said, there, there's a lot on the line for this team. And I think publicly, more than anything, facing the Bengals, we've talked about how they've kind of flipped the narrative. But at the same time, if there's ever a team that the Rams would have probably wanted to face, it is the Bengals. It's not the Chiefs. It's not the Brady Pats, once again. Uh, it's not even, I don't know, the the Broncos or, or the Ravens or the Steelers. It's the Bengals. <laughs> what do you think, AJ? As a
3: fan, I was really praying for that rematch of the Monday Night Football game between the Rams and the Kansas City Chiefs. I think most
1: of America was.
3: But I will say, the Rams are impressive what they're doing. If you're going to go out full out and trade every pick you have and want to win now, that's the way you have to do it. You have to trade everything, and you got to get superstars. And it's worked out. I mean, Odell's had a resurgence ever since he's joined the Rams. You're getting guys back from injury. We see Cam Akers, former Florida State player, have have some great uh, moments in the playoffs. And you go out and get Matthew Stafford, who's just a gunslinger, and that's just what we thought we were going to see happen with Sean McVay, and it's come to light.
1: I remember the first game Matthew Stafford played with the Rams, and I just thought to myself, oh, my gosh, (laughs) what do we have here? (laughs) This might just be absolutely insane when it comes to – this pairing because Matthew Stafford is is the absolute gunslinger that Sean McVay has wanted, but it hasn't been the case for the entire of the season. There's been a lot of periods, a lot of moments where it seems to be working as it's meant to be, but there's also a lot of periods and moments where, you know, Matthew Stafford's throwing pick sixes three games in a row. and, And Matthew Stafford is potentially blowing a lead against Brady and the Bucks, And I have been rooting for Matthew Stafford a lot this past year and I always told Luke, the former host, that, hey, the Rams are going to pay off in the playoffs, and, and they seem to have. Uh, but at the same time, I, it's not been as convincing as you would have probably thought. You know, they got to the Super Bowl. That's all that really matters. But at the same time, Matthew Stafford hasn't really done much to change his narrative. I mean, obviously, he's in the Super Bowl, and, and he's he's, made, he's he's helped them get there. But there's still there's still some people that don't consider him a top-five quarterback. There's still some people that say, hey, they could have probably done some of the similar things if Jared Goff was still there. William, what say you? Yeah, I was actually on the show, I believe,
2: after week 18 when they had lost to the Niners and Stafford had basically given that game away. They had a a large lead in the second half and definitely should have won that game. And I was saying, well, Goff, you know, sometimes he throws dumb picks, but most of the time he's just a game manager He's not going to put the game on the line. And Stafford has an up and a down. Sometimes he's just really going to look awful and throw those interceptions. And I really think this regular season was kind of an outlier for Stafford. You look in his Detroit days, he led the NFL in fourth quarter comebacks. I think his career, he's been a clutch player. And thankfully for the Rams, he's found his his groove finally in Los Angeles in these playoffs.
1: Yeah, and I think when we talk about the trades, the one that's kind of been put under the rug is the OBJ one. Because if we remember, Robert Woods was the number two receiver before him. And once he got there, people were asking, hey, how is this going to work? Because he also had Van Jefferson and Tyler Higbee. There was a lot of mouths to feed. And obviously after Robert Woods was injured, once again, it's kind of like addition by subtraction. And OBJ got a lot more attention as, as the games went on. They, they seemed to find a lot of chemistry. And when you look at the Packers, <laughs> I mean, their lack of a number two receiver has plagued them for a couple of years now. And similar to the Saints, I'll say as well, but... Yeah, I mean, OBJ has done a lot for this team, I think, and and it hasn't really been talked about enough. Um, probably for the better, for for the better for the Rams, because you know, once OBJ becomes your your leading headline, then you know things might not go as you expect them.
3: I think we have to give Sean McVay a ton of credit on the OBJ side of the ball. Early when they first acquired him from the waivers after Cleveland released him they they drew up play specifically for OBJ just to get his confidence back. We could see that in the regular season when they're up big and they're just throwing fade through two three-yard fades and the touchdown just to get OBJ evolved, involved in the game and with the team. And now the dividends are paying off for, for that, and I applaud Sean McVay for doing that.
1: Yeah, I mean, we saw what Bruce Arians did with Antonio Brown last year, and we know what happened this year. <laughs> William's shaking his head right now, but... I mean, Sean McVay has done something similar here. Probably not as bad of a situation. Um, But, yeah, I I do think that Sean McVay deserves some praise when it comes to handling OBJ.
2: Absolutely. I I would agree with that. AJ brings up a great point. You know, those stars that can be, you know, sometimes they rub you the wrong way. You have to kind of handle them with kid gloves a little bit. And Sean McVay really handled it the right way. If you're going to bring a guy like, like him into your team, you're going to have to have a game plan to get him involved with the team. And as, as he said, they, they really did a good job of doing that. And Gabe, you, you brought up the point, talking about the Packers and Devontae Adams. You look at all these NFL teams that are in really good shape, they'll have really solid number two receivers. The Bengals with T. Higgins. Yep. The Rams, you, you mentioned, they probably have like three or four number two guys. All the these Chiefs, other teams.
1: You know, it's a tight end, but still. Counts. The Bucks
2: when they won the Super Bowl. All these teams, the number two receiver really makes a difference.
1: And with all this talk
3: about the number two receiver, we're forgetting – their number one receiver, Cooper Cup, who's yeah. had an amazing year. He had the trip. He had the triple crown in football. Yep. That's and, insane. And that's crazy how Sean McVay has been able to feed all those mouths still and still have a guy with that much volume.
1: And he's still producing throughout the whole playoffs. Oh, for sure. I mean, they don't get to where they're at without Cooper Cup. He is inarguably their MVP. And that's in a team that has Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Matthew Stafford. I mean, Cooper Cup has done things that, you know, we, we would have like – being, being amazed by it. when Wes Walker in his time with the Patriots and, and you know even Julian Edelman in the playoffs uh, I know I'm throwing out these these funny comparisons but the point is what, what he's doing right now is Jerry Rice-esque and obviously Jerry Rice did it for a way longer time but what Cooper Cup has done is established himself as the wide receiver in the NFL in a season where Devontae Adams is still producing like Devontae Adams it's just incredible
3: and we also see Cooper Cup produce in the rum game. He's an amazing wide receiver blocker blocker. Uh I know he's probably not gonna win the MVP, but he definitely deserves to be the offensive player of the year in the NFL.
1: Yeah, you definitely get a consideration for me. It's such a heart thing it, with quarterbacks these days.
3: Along with Debo Samuel, who ended up losing, but he also had an amazing game last yesterday and an amazing season.
1: Yeah, that was a, that's a good point. I, I was looking at the, the four teams that could make the Super Bowl and I, I I just looked around and I saw Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, (laughs) uh, Cooper Cup, OBJ, you know, the list goes on. It it really speaks to how the NFL has changed. And I don't think the wide receiver position has been valued to the point, has has increased in value to the point where, you know, people have or teams should start spending more draft capital on them. But there seems to be more of an emphasis in in it uh, going forward, I think.
2: And we're giving McVeigh all, all this credit, which is, is certainly justified, but but how about him finally getting over that Shanahan hump? Yeah. He was 0-6 <laughs> against the Niners since twenty nineteen. And I I said put the house on San Francisco <laughs> with me and Brett giving the pizza pics. <laughs> put the house on the Niners and McVeigh finally did it. It was a really interesting game and in that it felt like both squads were really trying to give it away at the end. Uh, Los Angeles and McVeigh had a couple of awful challenges that should have never happened. They lose two of their timeouts in that second half, and and still the the Niners aren't able to to capitalize on it. Basically, both teams shut down the opposing run games, and if you're going to tell me Rams versus Niners, both teams throwing for it for the win, give me the Rams all day. Jimmy G going basically 50% passing.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean... We, we, we can talk a lot about Sean McVay versus Kyle Shanahan. They're, they're both good coaches. We know their struggles. But at the same time, I, I think that what Sean McVay does better is scheming guys open than Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan has more his bread and butter is in the zone game, the, the power run. Um, and we, we, we know the limitations of Jimmy G, so we also have to give him some, some sort of a pass in that, in that scenario. But as we talk about Jimmy G, I mean, he, he did it again. He became the second quarterback in the last three postseasons to lose a 10-point a lead entering the fourth quarter in the playoffs. I mean, what more can we say about Jimmy G? I feel like this is just something that should be thrown to the side and never talked about again. But, you know, there there might still be some Jimmy G apologists out there, right, AJ?
3: I agree with you. This brings up the question, if you're a 49ers fan and 49ers organization, what do you do next year with, with the quarterback situation? I – I'm a personal believer in just going all-in on Aaron Rodgers. I know Aaron Rodgers is still n- kind of salty about not being drafted by them. But I, losing I ma- to them. I, I, I <laughs> imagine that, though. That would be the perfect scenario. You bring Aaron Rodgers in for a couple years, let Trey Lance develop behind one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, and then you're, you're set for the next couple decades with going just all-in on Aaron Rodgers. So I'm a firm believer in for 49ers going in all-in
1: all on Rodgers. I think it's a good match or a good pairing, but I think the the situation is just way too unlikely for it to happen due to the circumstances. But hey, we could be wrong. I think we we can talk about that after you know the Super Bowl and everything kind of unfolds. But yeah, I mean the 49ers right now they're at a crossroads where they have built a pretty good solid team. You know they've actually been to a couple Super Bowls in the last couple of years, and they haven't won it. But it seems like they know how to get there, and that counts for something, I think. And if 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 a quarterback is the only thing that's you know preventing them from getting there, then at some point they're gonna have to you know either trust Trey Lance or once again invest in somebody uh, the likes of Matthew Stafford or even Tom Brady. Um, maybe that's Aaron Rodgers. Who knows? But uh, I do think that the 49ers excelled their expectations from where they were in the middle of the season, and that, that's that's something that they should rejoice in because, uh, I mean, for starters, they could have easily not made the playoffs, but, you know, they made it and, and you know, they made the most of it. And, you know, losing to, to your rivals is never easy, but, you know, there's always next season.
2: Yeah, when you have a, a quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo that played at such an extreme, mediocre level, it really – it put so much pressure on the rest of the team, and I think it just showed how great the Niners are as a team, as a whole, the defensive line in the front is, is fantastic. The secondary, with a lot of little known names, I thought came up huge. I mean, they had corners that were shutting down Devontae Adams a week ago, and I thought they only gave up 20 points to the Rams. I thought those corners ran pretty well with all those Los Angeles weapons as well, and then everything that Debo Samuel has gone on and George Kittle and the, the running game. So, um, you know, for a, for a team. You know, Jimmy G playing the way that he did to go 10-7 and and were one win away from the Super Bowl. They're in great shape. I mean, Trey Lance
1: is not going to have to do a whole heck of a lot for them to be successful. He might just do a lot more than people expect, and that's what I've been saying this whole season. Jimmy G is not going to win the Super Bowl. I'm sorry. He's just not. This team is not the 2000 Ravens. It's not the 2015 Broncos. Jimmy G is not that good. It's a miracle he didn't get injured for starters, but, you know, once again, he showcased why they lost the Super Bowl and, and against the, the Chiefs. He can't get it done when it matters most. And I think Trey Lance is not a proven commodity by any means, but at least you, you give him a chance to start winning, start learning how to win. And then who knows, in the future, it might pay off big time. Or at least you know what you have there, and you can move on quicker than you would have previously. But I digress because another quarterback situation is very much intriguing to me. <coughs> Maybe not to William, but for those that didn't hear this weekend, there were some news outside of the wild or the excuse me, the championship uh, games going on that completely overshadowed what was going on in the world of football. When Thomas Patrick Edward Bartolomew Brady <laughs> nailed it, <laughs> <Yep>. nailed it, <laughs> claimed to retire but didn't claim so officially. I, I have no idea what's going on with him. He just came out of another interview where apparently he's not ready to retire he's not officially retiring but it seems that the the mood in Tampa has changed a little bit hasn't it William it certainly has it seems like we're kind of at DEFCON 1 with
2: everything um you know Tampa panicking at an extreme level I think it's it's one of those instances where the, the 24-hour news cycle that we have in sports now, and, and Schefter and, and the likes of those insiders, just looking for a story. Just got to be the first on a story. Maybe not vetting your sources all the way or, or even verifying that anything is true, but if you can be the first on a story that Brady's retiring, that's huge. Well, uh, according to Brady and everyone in his camp, his agent, his father, I mean, for crying out loud, is <laughs> saying that he has not decided. The GM said that Brady has not decided, so... My two cents, as I've been following the, the Brady saga closely as a Bucks fan, I think Brady knows he's going to retire, and I think maybe someone leaked it out. But with the career that he's had, probably one of the best professional athletes of all time, he wants to go out. I'm sure he has some kind of plan. He's done all kinds of documentaries. He's going to go out with a bang, some kind of ceremony to, to retire. So he wants to be the one to break the news. You get everyone back in that, that he's not officially decided, and then he can drop you know the bomb again that, that he's walking away. Is this gonna be a
1: situation where we have to wait till the Super Bowl to find out?
3: I think Tom Brady might want to overshadow the Super Bowl. No, I I think no. he'll wait till after. But if he does end up reti- retiring, I have a question: Does he sign like a ten day contract with the Patriots and end his career with the Patriots, or you think he just stays Bucks?
2: I think he would have to. I. He and, and Bill Belichick butted heads at times, but I don't think it ever got to the point where Brady doesn't want to retire a Patriot. I mean, he, he still lives there. His family is up there. I, I'm sure he'll spend a lot of time in the Boston area when when all is said and done. So with everything that he's done, six Super Bowl championships, they went you know to the AFC Championship pretty much every year. He's got to retire a Patriot.
3: And I also have a follow-up question. Is he the GOAT?
2: No question, Uh, and I I mentioned one of the best athletes in professional sports—not just the National Football League. You've, we've never seen a guy—you know, maybe Bill Russell in the Celtics. What was it? You know, fifty or sixty years ago, we haven't seen anyone since then win at that kind of level,
1: and it may never be done again. I mean, he's more Super Bowls than every single NFL franchise. I I don't think anybody else in sports can say that, and you know, we, we know how long sports have been played, so that says a lot. But I mean, Brady has almost every record in the NFL in an era where he played with Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Payne Manning. And obviously, he had a lot of help to get there. But you you saw how he went from New England to Tampa and completely changed things in not just New England, but in Tampa. I don't think there's anything else we can say about the GOAT argument of things. I, I do think it's it's interesting to, to to ask the question, what is his legacy in Tampa? I think, obviously, Bucks fans will say, hey, you know, he wants us a Super Bowl, enough said. But at the same time, how he leaves now becomes a really big question because the NFC South is at a crossroads. It's it's kind of like searching for its new, you know, leader or whatever. And it doesn't seem like teams want to step up with the Falcons still being the Falcons and the Panthers not really finding who the, the right coach is and whatnot. The Saints, for that matter, have lost their coach as well, who, you know. it's a lot more clear that he's he's stepping away from that franchise maybe returning to another franchise later on as he takes a sabbatical or, or you know just takes a little bit of time for himself but it really pains me to see Sean Payne leave the way that he did because in my opinion he should have deserved to be in the playoffs over the Eagles I'll say it once again for those that didn't get to hear it the first time but for that matter the way that you know he had to leave after Drew Brees I I really do think that he deserved to have a successor you know come in and you know hey it's it wasn't all Drew Brees it was Sean Payne and, and Jameis you know it, we saw the flashes there but it, it was never something concrete where you could say hey Sean Payne can develop any other quarterback and you know maybe we'll, we'll get to see that in the next team that he goes to or maybe he returns to New Orleans I don't know but for whatever the case is his legacy in New Orleans is more than cemented with what he did for that city Coming in that situation with Katrina, the way that the, the Saints were just laughingstock of the franchise, I mean, it, it's something kind of like Joe Burrow, but even better, I think, uh, because he he had no no safety net. It was his one shot to make it, and he made the most of it. William, what what do you think about Champagne? I know you're, you're a Bucks fan, but. As a Bucks fan, he's he's
2: tormented me for years. It it seems like even in the Tom Brady era, we've not been able to beat them in the regular season. Of course, the divisional round victory uh, a season ago, (laughs) exactly. But but outside of that, it's been all Saints. I think, like you said, uh, greatness all across the board. I think Drew Brees owes a large part of his legacy to what Sean Payton has done, and I, I think a lot of you know the the recency bias what we remember the the stronger defense and, and this and that but you go back you know 10 15 years ago it was Jimmy Graham Marcus Colston uh Dance you know with roles. Drew Brees uh yeah Pierre Thomas uh Mark Ingram one one of the most lethal offenses in the NFL for for 5 to, to 7 years they were really lighting things up and, and Drew Brees it was set records until Brady went on to break them a couple of years later so um, I, I even as much as I dislike the Saints as a Buccaneer fan as, as a, an, an impartial uh, ruler I hope that that era of Saints football is not forgotten because they were you know one of the they went on one of the greater runs of this era of NFL football
1: champagne in in a way was the key to Sean McVay becoming a coach kind of like what Drew Brees was to Russell Wilson you know the shorter side of quarterbacks being able to ha- actually have an opportunity I mean coaches that are primarily offensively based wouldn't really get the looks that they 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 do now if it wasn't for Sean Payton what he did establishing such a high-powered offense that it didn't really matter what happened on defense he was able to win so many regular season games uh, obviously not to the extent of Bill Belichick or or anybody anybody else but I do think that if things went his way with either Minnesota or LA (laughs) you would have been considering him a hall of famer yeah, it is just remarkable what he was able to do, and his his story might not be over. So, who knows what, what the next chapter for Sean Champagne has? I, I would I would love to watch him as a commentator, for that matter. <laughs> he's already been tweeting out some funny things, so maybe go give him a follow and you know laugh it up. <laughs> you followed him closely as
2: a Saints fan. What what do you think is next for him in the long run?
1: I, I really do think he's not done with the NFL, or at least coaching, for that matter. Uh, a lot of people have said Dallas. And I would hate for him to go to Dallas because it's Dallas but at the same time I want him to go to a good situation where he doesn't have to do so much of the building work uh, so much of the groundwork that he had to do with New Orleans because he is in a win-now mentality kind of like um, I don't know Bill Belichick is um, yeah I, I think he 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 hasn't really lost touch with what what the NFL has become today but at the same time he, he definitely needs some time away probably for himself and his family and whatnot, but also to kind of, hey, look at what has happened over the last 15 years or so and say, hey, I can now, you know, do what what Mike Mike McCarthy was supposed to do in his time off. Um, AJ? Yeah,
3: uh, I think if he did actually end up going to Dallas, it would have to be this year. Even if he takes a year off, uh, the NFL rules still dictate that the New Orleans Saints still – or uh, have him as an asset because his contract isn't up. So Dallas would have to trade for Sean Payton. So if it were to be, I think Dallas would go right at him right now. That's my only take into that.
0: I want to say another thing. If he doesn't, if he does continue to coach somewhere, would it have to be at a head coach spot? Because he's like he's been a quarterbacks coach. He's been an offensive coordinator. Like, could he go somewhere else and not? be at the head coach spot. I think that's something also to to look into.
2: Yeah. I mean, with Josh McDaniels leaving, maybe he <laughs> might want to pair, pair up with Bill Belichick oh, in New oh, England. Man. That would be I an know. interesting story.
3: And as Aaron Rodgers As a Dolphins fan, that would be very unidealistic for me. <laughs> Just throwing
1: Aaron Rodgers in there, you know, another little little uh, supremacy in in the in the AFC side of things for for the Patriots. That would be something fun to watch. I mean, we, we know how, how Belichick can do with you know, his, his coaching staff, but adding Sean to that arsenal would just be unfair, I think, for, for anybody. But I think that's going to do it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in to Tomahawk Talk. This has been Gabe Tisnes alongside William Haynes, Angel of the course here, Amanda Golson.
0: This has been W Alhassie, the voice of Florida State.